The love that we're going to talk about today is the love that we have for the saints. And you know, it's different. We, we love one another somewhat differently than we love the world. And, and it's not exactly the same thing. It's all God's love. It all fits into that bigger parameter. And I, I'm just going to read it again because I think it's worth... I think if you read this every day, you might become a lot better person. But I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13.4 again just to, just to brush up and knock some of the rust off here and, and just re-remind us what the Word of God says. And it says this, Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love is never envious nor boils over with jealousy, is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude and unmannerly and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way. For it is not self-seeking, it is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of evil done to it. Pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice, and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. Is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes uh, are fadeless under all circumstances, endures everything without weakening. Wow, that's a tough one. Endure everything without weakening. Love never fails, nor fades out, nor becomes obsolete. Or comes to an end. Now we we uh, we can look at that, and and I'll tell you, every one of us is saying, "Well, I don't fully attain to that, and, and I haven't arrived on that." But how many of you know that we? Paul said that he had not attained either, and he wrote, you know, two thirds of the Testament. But how many are trying to attain to that love walk? Amen. We need to do all that we can to try uh, to be in that very precious thing called the love walk, and that is the thing that gives us power. And faith works by love. Your faith will not work if you don't walk in love. You can pray and pray and pray and pray, but the Bible says in the book of Galatians that faith, everybody say it with me, faith worketh by love. You see, you're going to have to have that love in your life before you're going to be able to see uh, your prayers get answered. And, you know, we, we need to exercise forgiveness. We need to exercise a lot of things. But I'll tell you what, it's when, when you do start seeing that happen, it becomes a very, very powerful force in one's life. And so uh, I'm going to go ahead and turn this morning. Now, I'm not sure what happened to my sermon. <laughs> you know, there's nothing scarier than losing your sermon on a Sunday morning. And so <laughs> I lost my $50 check the other day. Here it is. Oh, praise the Lord. All right. So we... <laughs> We are going to go ahead and turn, and I want to get uh, your attention back to Acts 2 and 47 and 48. Today, our message is how uh, to love the brethren or loving the local church and loving our brothers and sisters. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your word. And Father, I just thank you that, uh, Lord, we can walk in this love. You've given us that love. You said that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts when we're born again. Father, we may not walk in it perfectly, but Father, we are trying to attain to that perfection of walking uh, the love walk every day towards every person uh, all the time. And Lord, give us clarity of mind, articulation of speech, boldness of spirit. Father, 
uh, to articulate this. And Father, give each one here ears to hear, hearts to receive, and a will to be doers of what is preached today through the word. And Father, we just thank you that it'll change us thereby, and we give you the praise for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Well, we're going over to Acts 2, and you know, this plays in very powerfully with what our vision is for this year. And of course, the vision is showing ourselves friendly. And how many of you want to be in a part of a friendly church? And we want to be friendly towards each other, first, and, first of all, and then friendly towards those who we're trying to bring into a church. We wouldn't want to go out and be friendly to people outside the church and then bring them into an unfriendly church. Somebody say amen. We don't want to go out and befriend the lost and, and tell them about how wonderful Jesus is and then bring them in and have a bunch of cold, uncaring, unfriendly people that uh, aren't very nice. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be a part of something like that. And so we want to be sure that uh, we bring people into a friendly place because we're to show ourselves friendly. He that showeth himself friendly, you must show yourself friendly in order to have friends, the Bible says. And so we want to show ourselves friendly. But we're talking about the love of God today. And I want to bring out just several things. And uh, we're going to look at that of love towards one another. Now, look what it says there in verse 45. And they sold their possessions. We're in Acts 2, 45. Acts 2 and 45. And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple. Everybody say, in the temple. They went to church every day. They didn't ask for an offering, but they, they didn't have to be asked for an offering. They sold houses and lands just to take care of one another. I mean, you would say the church has kind of maybe drifted away from its original zeal here a little bit. And so they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to every man that had need, that truly had need. And then they said, and they continued daily in one accord in the temple. So they went to church every day in the temple. And breaking bread from house to house, they'd eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. And so then they were in fellowship with each other, and they even hung out and ate meals together every day. See, this was a close-knit group of people. This was an odd, almost, I'm not going to say it's like a commune or, or something like this, but this was something that the world had not really seen before, maybe somewhat among the Jews, but among the Gentiles acting like this, uh, this, this was very different than the secular community. This is very different than Roman living you know, you know, you got that magazine, Southern Living, it's kind of a magazine about culture and fine dining and fine homes and things like that. And, and you know, I've seen that magazine called Southern Living. And, you know, th this, this wasn't Roman living. This was Christian living that people were observing that they'd never quite seen anything like this, quite even close to this ever before. See, the Bible says that this is an indicator of knowing whether we're authentic or not. This should be in place for us to know and others to know that we're the genuine article. How do I know that? The Bible says in 1 John 3, 14, we know that we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. We know that we've passed from this death, this spiritual death being spiritually dead in this world, to life. Spiritual life, eternal life, zoe life, life as God has life, life with, without any death mixed in with it, this pure life abundant. 
as God has it, without sin and death in it, then we've passed into that status. We've passed into that culture. We've passed into that reality. We've passed into that impartation that goes into our spirit called the love of God. And now we start living out uh, that passion of God's love in our lives. And we start living. And we know this is how we know that we've passed from death. You know, the wages of sin is death, spiritual death, separation from God. This is how we know we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. We have this attraction. We have this, uh, somehow, this common denominator. We have this thing called koinonia. We have this thing called agape going on. We've got this thing. That's how we know we're the real. If we don't have any love for the people of God, we don't have any love for church and this worship stuff and that guy up there preaching the word of God and those sermons, if we, you're not saved. If you don't have a love for these things, you need to check back and, and, and look at some of the indicators of how we know that we're saved. And it's all through the book of First and Second John. Another place it says in John 13, 35, it says, they will know that By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this. Not your wonderful public prayers. Not how, you know, uh, even much you give or, or, or even you could even go to church. But, but if, you, if, you don't, if you don't have love, this is the defining difference. This is in a Roman culture that was very selfish, very egotistical, very narcissistic. This was in a culture and in a time uh, where, where people were very brutal to one another. This was a time where the only type of love they knew was a sexual perverted love. And, but the Christians stood out. They took care of one another. That was very odd. They met together at church every day. That's very odd. They went to each other's house and they ate and had joy and rejoicing and fellowship. The Bible in Jude calls it love feasts. That was very odd. There was nothing like this in the world. There was no group of people doing these things. This stood out like a sore thumb. This, this was very defining. This was this tremendous juxtaposition of secular society and community and versus Christian community that was a, a Christ-centered love, agape-centered thing. They'll know. And then it says this, that they went breaking bread from house to house and eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. How many know everyone has a secret desire to live that way to a degree? But until you're born again, you don't have the capacity to really do it. How many, let me just put there. How many of you want to be accepted? Anybody likes rejection? You can call Dr. Mark if, if you need an appointment. But anyway, we all desire a community of some kind, some form or fashion. And, and you see, they went from house to house, it says, and and praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily as should be saved. When, when the church starts walking in love, then God will let people start coming to it. When we can understand how important it is to love one another, and when they can come, because God doesn't want to be wrongly or misrepresented by our lack of love, because God is love. And if you want people to come know God, come to your church and come be part of your congregation and, you know, with the express purpose of you need to know God and get saved by Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, and then you come and it 
completely unrepresentative of God and his love, how many of God does God doesn't really want somebody to come to that. He doesn't want to be misrepresented. He wants people to come into a fellowship and a circle and a, a community of absolute total love towards one another. Somebody say amen. So God, God really, it's really important that we love one another. Now look at Galatians. We're going to go there to Galatians, the sixth chapter. And just, and just that there's many indicative things uh, that talks about this throughout the Bible. I'm just going to give you one because there's so many other things I want to talk about today. We're going to, have to, we're going to pack a lot in uh, to this sermon and there's a lot of things that I want to say. There's a lot of powerful things said about this in the Bible that needs to be said. And so we're just going to take a quick jump and skip over there to uh, Galatians, the sixth chapter. And we're going to look at this. And it says, uh, I'm going to start in verse uh, 9, actually. We're in Galatians 6, uh, verse 9. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. How many of you know we should do good to all men? Especially, now you ought to underline that. You ought to circle that or highlight it. But it says, but especially. We're supposed to, you know, well, we should treat everybody exactly the same. Well, that sounds real good. But, you know, the Bible teaches some things. It tells us that there is even a little bit of preferential treatment for your brothers and sisters. There's a little preferential treatment for God's family versus the devil's family. Somebody say amen. Now, we're reaching out to the lost. We're caring about the lost. And next week, we're going to talk about how we love the lost. But today, we're talking about how we love God's family. Somebody say amen. Do you treat your family? Does, does your family have a little preferential treatment over everybody else, because if not, I'm going to ask you to pay for my kids' tuition at college. No, you don't treat everybody the same. You'll pay for your own kids' college education, but you aren't going to pay for mine. My kids' education. How many of you know we always have somewhat of a preferential treatment for those in our family, and we're supposed to? The Bible says he doesn't care for his own. is worse than an infidel, a Christ rejecter. So, yes, we, we, we care, especially... Unto them who are the household of faith, we should be doing good, especially for one another. And you know, when you see, you know, you might be out in public and you see somebody, you know, in need. You know, if you drive by and somebody's got a flat tire, you know, you may pull over and help them. But brother and sister, if you see somebody from this church with a flat tire, you better pull over and help them. Because that's just the way it is with God. And when they're part of the family, you don't, you don't neglect to take care of them. Because sometimes family is all we have in some situations. And so we need to always be sure that that becomes a priority. It's a unique and defining difference between Christians and the secular community is this strange selfless love that we exhibit for one another. This community is called koinonia. It's, it's a specific word in the Greek language. This specifically... Uh, tells us what this is. Now, let me read to you some definitions of this word, koinonia. This is the word that describes Christian community. This is the word that describes that very unique and nothing like it type of relationship that we're supposed to have with our brothers and our sisters. Now, look here. I'm going to read to you from Strong's definition, and it's partnership, literally participation. Now, be careful with this next one, social intercourse. I did not say sexual intercourse. Let's be 
get that real straight, you know. Pecuniary benefaction, in other words, how we benefit. Communication, communion, contribution, fellowship. Koinonia means all of those things. Koinonia is very powerful. Let me read it again. Partnership, participation. How many of you know that participation is an act of love? Mm. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's because you're partners. You got a partner who doesn't do his part. How many know most of you probably get mad at him? We're partners, folks. Whether you like it or not, we are partners. And participation is expected in the kingdom of God. Somebody say amen. Social intercourse, in other words, getting to know one another. And then uh, communicate, and that's giving. Communion. Contribution. What do you contribute? Distribution. What do you distribute? (laughs) I've heard amens, but not this is interesting. (laughs) But it is interesting. And communication and communion, distribution and fellowship. So those are all things that are part. Fellowship. Let's look at that. Here's kind of an outline. Association, community, communion, joint participation, intercourse. The sharing... Uh, which one is in anything participation, fellowship, intimacy. Uh, the right hand is a sign of pledge or fellowship in fulfilling uh, offices. A gift jointly contributed, a collection, a contribution, and exhibiting an embodiment and proof of fellowship. So all these things are part of this community that we're supposed to have as we love the brethren. Everybody say, love the brethren. That's how we know that we've passed from death unto life. Now, Acts 2, one of those words is fellowship. Let me give you an example. Every one of those different meanings through scriptural reference. There's 20 different places where the Greek word koinonia is used in the New Testament. I'm not going to read all of them, but I'll read each one as to it relates to the specific meaning that it's used in, in particular scriptures. Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. That's koinonia in breaking bread and in prayers, which I just read that. Romans 15, 26, for it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. That's koinonia. That's the community that we're supposed to have, one that's willing to give. Here's another one, 2 Corinthians 6, 14, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness. That word communion, communing together, is the word koinonia in the Greek. And so these are different usages of the same word because it has multifaceted meaning in it. Another one in 1 Corinthians 9.13, why, whilst uh, by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed sub subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal excuse me distribution unto them and to all men distribution again that was taking up offerings and then distributing it to people those are all words that are um, interpreted from this word koinonia so koinonia is a powerful thing that we as Christians need to be participating in that we need to be partnering in and so this partnership is, is, is a very powerful thing. I look at that, and I, and I see that uh, what Koinonia looks like is really expressed in certain scriptures 
that I call the one another scriptures. How many have noticed that in the epistles, how often the term or phraseology one another is used? Anybody notice how there's a very high incidence of the use? Of, and it is so obvious and stands out so much that you can Google any time and just say the one another scriptures because preachers have built millions of sermons on what we call the one another scriptures. It's all the verses in the Bible that uses one another. And there's exactly 59 of them in the New Testament. There's 59 different scriptures that has the phrase one another. And one another has to do with this koinonia. This is what koinonia looks like. I'm going to read some of those scriptures. I'm not going to read all 59 of them. Don't worry. But it says, be at peace with, everybody say it, each other or one another. Okay. And this, it's not going to work because some of them are each other and some are one another. And then it goes on, be at peace with one another. Wash one another's feet. Love one another. I could give you the scripture references, but that's just going to take more time. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another then just as, as Christ accepted you. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. In our culture, it's probably better just to give a hug and more of a side hug to the ladies. Amen. <laughs> when, you, when you come together to eat, wait for each other or wait on one another. Have equal concern for each other. Then it says, serve one another in love. Carry each other's burdens. Be patient and bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving one another. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We do that in praise and worship. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Do not lie to one another. Bear with one another. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Make your love increase and, and overflow to one another. Encourage one another. Build up one another. Spur on another toward love and good deeds. Do not slander one another. Do not grumble against one another. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve one another. So use your gift towards one another. And then clothe yourselves in humility towards one another. And there's a whole bunch more of them. That's just a good taste of them. But there's a lot more. I, I don't know. I probably read 60% of them. So how many of you see that God has this one another thing going on in the epistles? There is a very strong emphasis on Koinonia. There's a very strong emphasis on how the brethren are to love one another. There's a very strong emphasis that our community should stand out in the midst of a secular community. There, there's a very clear mandate on our lives to live completely differently and unselfishly in comparison and in contrast to the world around us as a great witness and of great hope of God's love existing in the world for the world to come and be a participant in. So it's very interesting that these one another scriptures, all 59 of them, 
uh, have to do with something that you would do within the church. Now, we know how uh, that we're supposed to love, and we know how that we're to do to one another, is, you know, forgive one another, serve one another, uh, love one another, have hospitality. You know, we just talked about all the hows, but now when and where do we have the opportunity especially to do that? I'm going to turn to Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verses 24 and 25. So let me tell you not just the how, but the when and the where that this should take place, especially above any other time and place, and it's in the house of God. Amen. How many of you know it says if you'll be, uh, you know, if you'll, if you'll uh, plant yourself in the house of the Lord, you'll flourish in the courts of our God. Planting yourself causes you to flourish. Replanting all the time will cause you to wither up and die. So we need to be planted in the house. Planted means that you come when the doors... And you know, you know what it meant to be planted in the house of the Lord in Acts 2.42? They were daily in the temple. Ever say daily in the temple. Daily in the temple. We've fallen a long ways from that, haven't we? You know, it starts out, you, you used to, you know, have church in America. And, and J- John Calvin was the one that kind of instituted Sunday night church in, in, in the European community. And we'd go to church Sunday morning, you know, services would be three or four hours, and then you'd take a break, and everybody would eat lunch together. This is what America used to look like at its founding. And people would eat lunch together, and then the kids would play outside the church, and, and then you'd go back in for session two, and you'd be out there all afternoon, and then you'd eat supper, and then you'd have session three, and you'd have church uh, into the evening. And so during that time, uh, church became an all-day affair. And then there was church usually on a Wednesday night. And so church, but now most churches are down to barely Sunday morning. And don't, and don't you dare take too much of my time with your 10-minute sermon and your, and your 20-minute praise and worship session. And how many of you know that we're getting further and further away from this, this very incredible, how can I say, precedent that they were in temple every day. They went daily to the temple. And so that, that there was this place where the one another's were expressed. And that place was in fellowship and we, we don't necessarily fellowship in homes, but we've got fellowship back there in the, in the back of the building. And then we've got up in this front part of the building that we would call the sanctuary uh, that's sanctified for a different and specific purpose for the saints to come together and hear the word and be together. So these things are for us to do in the house of God. Now, when we get out of the house of God, do, are we free and we don't have to do them? No, we do it all the time. But you know what? Sometimes you work in a place where there aren't any brethren. How many of you go to uh, work on, you know, Sunday morning you're with all your brothers and sisters, but Monday morning you're with the devil's kids? Well, come on, somebody say amen. You know it's true. And sometimes there's believers there, but they're acting like they're, they're, they're undercover Christians, and nobody knows that they're saved. And you know what? They probably don't even really know if they're saved. So anyway, that, that, that is the reality of our lives. But in the house of God... It's very important that we practice this. Now, let's go ahead and turn there to excuse me, Hebrews 10 and 24. It says, and let us consider one another. Oh, there's an, oh, my God, there's one of those one another's right there. Let us consider one another to provoke unto good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is. But exhorting one another. Oh, there's two one another's. Exhorting. See, so could you say going to church is where we can practice some of the one another's? Is church a good place to forgive one another? Is church a good place to love one another? Is church a good place to teach one another? 
Is church a good place to hate, speak hymns and psalms and spiritual songs to one another? I think the one another's were especially made for church. Now, they're made for outside church. No, let's make no mistake about that. But they're made especially for church. And that's why we come together and we assemble ourselves together. And that's why we're commanded not to forsake and not to give up on the gathering of ourselves one another. And so I want to just say this, and I'm going to read some things here. Uh, that it's really important that we do not forsake. Now, let's keep on reading here. And let us consider one another to provoke one another to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So when you assemble together, one another is a lot easier. Now, one another may be, you know, if you live in California and I live in Iowa, the one another is going to be a lot harder. If you live across town from me, one another is going to be a little bit easier. But if we're sitting in the same room together, the one another has become way easier. Amen. Is that all starting to make sense? That's starting to settle into your consciousness a little bit. So here we go. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. You know, and here's the thing. You've got to remember the context of this. This is when they met together daily in the temple and met together daily from house to house. So the one another's might have been totally in the context of church and fellowship. Now, we do it once a week, maybe twice a week if you come on Wednesday nights. And so the one another's, you know, they were, they were every day all day going on all the time in the early church. But we need to understand that the precious few times we do gather today in our culture, once or twice a week instead of every day, that we really need to, we really need to practice these one another's. And we really... You know, it's one thing to not forsake the assembling of yourselves together when you meet once a day at church and meet once a day in each other's homes to eat together. I mean, it, it, you know, if it was important to not forsake assembling then, when if you missed one, you had six other days to make up. Somebody say amen. I mean, if you miss one church service, you know, you got six more. But we really ought to be careful not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together when it's only once and twice a week. Somebody say amen. But even then, in the context when it was every day, look how severe this is. It says, forsake not the assembling, or you could say partnering. And forsaking, it, it, it also, you look up the Greek word, it means to desert. How many of you like deserters? You know, they used to shoot deserters in America. Well, nobody likes a deserter. Can I get an amen? amen? Well, I love eating dessert with people, Pastor Bill. No, no, deserting people. Now, we desert at church, but we don't desert at church. We desert back there in the coffee place, but, but we don't desert one another. Somebody say amen. amen. So let us consider one another to provoke one another to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. There's that one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willingly, this is willful sin to do this. If we sin willingly after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. Wow. But a certain fearful look for the judgment and the fiery indignation which shall devour the adversary that despised Moses. And he that despised Moses' law died without mercy, two or three, under two or three witnesses. How much more, more, so are the punishments, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden under 
foot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. You see, you say, Pastor Bill, you always just pound on this coming to church thing. Will you ever give us a break? Well, it's only because I know how important that is. This is, this is a powerful thing. Let me, t- let me show you two things. Let me show you what happens in the natural, and then let me show you what's happening spiritually when we do not, when we forsake the one another's, when we forsake the gathering together, when we forsake the assembling. I'm going to do a little skit here. Jason's going to come up here. How many ever watch some of these things about the... I, watch, I like watching military stuff, and I, I like watching documentaries. And I saw a documentary, and I've seen it more than once, about Navy SEALs. How many of you like documentaries on Navy SEALs? All the guys' hands should go up. I like that stuff. I think that stuff's cool. And they, they have to do, everything has to be teamwork, strong teamwork. And these guys carry telephone poles over their head. How many of you know uh, that if you're carrying, you know, a four or 500-pound telephone pole over your head, you're hoping and praying the other guys don't. You're praying, you're believing in partnership right about then. Partnership becomes very, very important when you're a Navy SEAL and you're carrying a 500-pound telephone pole over your head. And if one person goes, they feel it. If two person goes, they're feeling it. But if somebody forsakes the assembling together, how about you know we're supposed to all bear our cross? And we bear our cross individually, but we also bear a cross corporately. And I believe this, that one of the things that we need to remember about church, one of the things we need to remember about community, what being the body of Christ and assembling together, is that we need to make a special commitment to always be there for us. Is that getting heavy yet? Can I tickle you guys under your arms? <laughs> Boom, on their head. Yeah, that wouldn't be cool. Well, I'm going to just let you guys kind of do your little skit. Because I know some, some guys feel like they need to leave right now. You know what happens to our brothers and our sisters? It starts getting too heavy. You know, it didn't feel that heavy at first. And he even could hold it alone for a little while. But how many know over time, nobody's going to be able to hold it up very long? Ever work over your head just putting in a light fixture? How, how many of your shoulders get pretty sore pretty quick? Well, it's just, you know, that's only a light bulb. That can't be very heavy now, could it, Pastor Bill? Let me tell you something. Everything gets heavy after a while when you're doing it alone. If you're doing children's church alone, you're doing nursery alone, you're doing usher alone, everything gets heavy when you have to do it alone. And if you really care about your brother and you're really a one another, then you won't leave the burden all on another person. You'll stay in that place of partnership. Can I get an amen? It's very important. Now, that's, that's just a natural analogy. But why does it say this in Hebrews 10? That, I mean, that it's, I mean, Wow. Uh, how much more sore punishment suppose ye shall be thought worthy of who hath trodden under the foot of the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified and an holy thing and hath done despite the Spirit of grace. When would we trod under 
When, when would we be mistreating Jesus? Let me turn to Matthew 25. Everybody turn there with me. This is what happens if we don't remember the one another's and we don't stay in that place of partnership and one another and love for each other. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. There's a very powerful portion of Scripture where Jesus talks about the day when the sheep and the goats are separated. How many sheep we got in here this morning? How many goats we got in here? Hopefully none. Bah. All right, good. I can tell there's a lot of sheep because all sheep droppings after church. <laughs> Gum wrappers, you know. Little, you know, just things that people leave a little bit of dirt and, and stuff just laying around. But there's always just a little bit of, you know. So I know we got a lot of sheep around here. Amen? Amen. Amen. Are you all there yet? Matthew 25, 31. It says, and then when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall sit, he sit upon the throne of glory, and before him shall he be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand and on the goats on the left. And, and then the, shall the king say unto them, on his right hand, come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered, and you gave me not. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. In other words, you practiced koinonia love towards him. Then shall the righteous answer him and say, Lord, when saw thee a hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? And when saw we uh, as a, thee as a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we the sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done this unto the least of my heathens. Wait a minute. What does that say right there? It's the least of my brethren. Everybody say brethren. You have done it unto me. You see, the way that you treat the body of Christ, God's family, is the way that we treat him. Now this was this koinonia crowd. This was this one another crowd. This was this crowd that came and they fed this, uh, the hungry. They clothed the naked. They took care of the sick. They were church people that took care of the body of Christ. They took care of one another. Everybody say one another. And all the time, they just saw it as a need. But Jesus sees it as the least that you do unto my brethren, you're actually doing it unto me. See, he's the one that died in every one of theirs place when he went to the cross. There's something very powerful about the way God feels about his children. It's very powerful how God feels about those who he died on a cross for to save. Somebody say amen. It's very powerful how he feels about those who've laid down their life and given their life unto him after he gave his life for them. There's something very special about the person who comes back and will give his life for Jesus. And that's what you have to do to be a brethren. You have to lay down your life. You have to carry your cross. You've got to do your share. You've got to be a partner. 
You got to be part of this thing, all in. Otherwise, you're a goat. Oh, you're in the flock. You're, you're, you're menacing around in the flock. You're making it hard for there to be a good community. Because how many of you know goats are little troublemakers, but they always hang out in the flock? And they can even tear up the, the unity of a flock. And that's what goats do. That's what goats are good at. And so we've got to be careful that we're not goats, just hanging out in the flock and not doing the one another's. Let's keep on reading. And then it says, And then shall he say also unto them on his left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil. And his... Now this is not the one another crowd. This is not the Koinonia crowd, but they are the crowd that was hanging out in the flock. These are flock dwellers, but they're not authentic. And what makes them not authentic? Then shall he say also to them that on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. See, hell was never prepared for man, but that's the only place for these type of people to go. It's prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was a hungered, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. The non-coinonia crowd, the non-one-another crowd, I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall he also answer, they answer and say, Lord, when saw we thee hungered? See, there's people that come to church that don't see other people as their brother and sister. They don't see the brother and sister. If you've done it unto them, you've done it unto Jesus. They don't see that. They don't understand koinonia. They don't understand one another. They don't understand or esteem the body of Christ. They just simply don't get it. Then they shall also answer him saying, Lord, when saw we the hunger? See, they thought they should see Jesus walk in with some robe and sandals on. No, that's not how we operate with Jesus today. We relate to Jesus as to how we relate to the body of Christ or the brethren. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we the hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have did, did it not to one of the least of these, you did not to me. See, and then that takes us back to Hebrews, what we said in Hebrews 10 and 24. How do we trod under the blood of Christ? By not assembling ourselves together, by not provoking one another, by not loving one another, but by forsaking one another. See, when we forsake one another, we don't go visit them in prison. When we forsake one another, uh, we don't meet their needs and, and feed them. See, this is why the assembling together and provoking one another to good works is exactly what Jesus is talking about. That what you do unto the least of these, you do these brethren, you're actually doing it unto me. You see, we've got to understand that God has told us to do this, not just to meet one another's needs, but we need to be a testimony in the earth of the love of God. Somebody say amen. We need to be, they'll know that you are Christians by this strange way that you live taking care of one another. By this strange way, when we're all, at the, when we're all out at the park having our Sunday morning sports event, that strange thing about you're going to church. 
you are really different. We can't figure out. I mean, everybody, you know, goes to the sporting event on Sunday morning anymore. Nobody does that anymore. What, what is with you people? You're so different. That's because we're serving one another. We're provoking one another. We're encouraging one another because we sure aren't going to get it from the world. And that which we do unto whether or not... We, but, but, and I'll tell you, if you don't do it for any other reason, the reason why I'm doing it, because Jesus said, the way I go to church and relate to one another and the way that I do all these things to the least of my brethren, I'm actually doing it to him. And he said those who didn't do it will be cursed and get cast into everlasting punishment. There's some serious consequences for not living this way. Somebody say amen. See, this loving one another as brothers and sisters is very important to God. Did you know that over there, you can go over there into the book of Timothy. And, you know, the body of Christ is called the family of God in Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. It starts out with Paul's prayer that they would have God open their eyes to understand the love of God. They'd be filled with the love of God that passes all knowledge. And he says, he prayed, he bows his knee and prayed for the, fam the whole family of God in heaven and in earth. How I many you know our brothers and sisters in heaven are still our brothers and sisters? The family of God in heaven and in earth. See, it's the body of Christ. It's very important that we understand this. And then you can go over to Timothy and it talks about taking care of widows. And if, here was the qualification for widows. If, they, if they've lost their husband and and they've lived a godly life, and they're 60 years old, and they don't have any family to take care of them. Paul says, the church must take care of them. Absolutely. And then he goes on, and he says, and he who doesn't provide for his own. He doesn't say, and he who's not saved. He says, he who doesn't provide for his own is worse than an infidel. Y'all know what an infidel is? An infidel is a Christ rejecter. Are we taking care of our own today? He who doesn't provide for his own is worse than an infidel. God puts such an insanely high emphasis on how that we take care of, how we participate, how we partner, how we koinonia, how we agape, how we do the 59 one another's, and how we do that, and how we not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, how that we provoke one another, how that we do all these things, that in, in, in the final day of judgment, what we'll be judged on is how we fed one another, clothed one another, um, took care of the sick towards one another and visited in prison one another and took care of one another it, 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 that on the final judgment day, that will be the litmus test as to whether you were ever really a true, real Christian. And because if you don't, and you don't realize that if you're not doing that, you're, you're doing it not for Jesus. And if you are doing it, you're actually doing it for Jesus. And that will be the final litmus test of how, whether you'll go into eternity with God or go into eternity in hell. You can say you're a Christian all day long, but if you don't come to church and you don't serve and you don't give, don't get involved in one another's, then on judgment day, the one another issue is going to come up. And we're going to be judged on that. 
So it's very important that we understand this love for one another. And then we can understand that Scripture says we know that we've passed from death unto life if we love the brethren. Somebody say amen.